Voice America Business Channel is brought to you by Intercall, the worldwide conferencing leader. Check out easy and reliable conferencing solutions at www.intercall.com forward slash radio. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and as I like to remind you each week, I am also the author of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, and my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And we do have a special introductory, first-time, one-time only offer for all three of those newsletters. You can call Claudio Bossi in New York at 718-457-1426, 718-457-1426, or go to my website at miningstocks.com. That's www.miningstocks.com. We also would like to uh, suggest that you go to jtaylormedia.com. There you can access this radio show very easily. Just click on the radio button. You can also uh, access all three of those newsletters I just mentioned. You can also view some of the videos, and I have uh, some 12 or 14 videos where I've interviewed CEOs of mostly gold mining companies, actually Uranium Energy, a uranium mining company is also interviewed there. But if you're really interested in knowing uh, the, the answers to the kind of questions that I ask before I decide whether or not I want to include a company in my newsletter, you can go view some of those videos. And I think there are some outstanding companies 
that I interviewed there. So go to jtaylormedia.com. I want to thank our sponsors uh, for making this show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, they are Gold Bullion Development, Crocodile Gold, Legend Gold Mines, Calico Resources, that's formerly Cobre, uh, Brigus Gold, and Palangio Exploration. I also want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making it the number one show on the Voice America channel. Uh, Voice America Business Channel, I should say. Now, uh, given the natural disasters suffered in Japan that brought about the nuclear crisis in that country, uh, this week we are going to focus a big part of the show on energy. Oil prices have spiked to well over $100 per barrel again, and that, along with other major problems, such as the economic decline caused by those disasters in Japan, and I would add massive amounts of indebtedness, uh, firms like Goldman Sachs and others are lowering their expectations for economic growth in the United States now. Higher living standards require consumption of large amounts of energy. It seems to be so anyway. We see the, the prosperous Western countries are consuming a disproportionate amount of energy. Uh, it, but if major constraints on the supply of energy are imposed on our civilization, and if a big part of the growing energy needs around the world cannot be satisfied by nuclear power, uh, then what happens? Are we destined to uh, to see uh, declining living, living standards in the U.S.? Will it curtail growth in countries like China and India if they are not able to uh, meet their surging demands for energy uh, through nuclear power? Today we will hear from two executives uh, of two uranium mining companies. One is actually getting ready to go into production. That would be Amir Adnani's Uranium Energy Corp. Uh, Amir will be with us to talk about the, uh, the uranium industry, the, the nuclear power industry, uh, and, uh, and he will also probably talk a little bit about uranium energy, which will be the next producer in the United States. Uh, Amir will be with me at around 3 o'clock today, New York time, and about 4 o'clock, Gil Schneider of Athabasca Uranium. It's a company exploring for high-grade uranium deposits in Canada's rich Athabasca region. Gil will be with us uh, to talk about the prospects for his company, and I'm sure he'll have some comments to say as well with respect to the, uh, to the nuclear industry post-Japan, uh, Japan's problem. Um, also, I, I expect, of course, both uh, Adnani and Schneider to be very uh, positive about the industry that they're involved in. Uh, so for a more, somewhat more objective look, I think we're going to expect anyway, we'll get from Paul Michael Wibby. Uh, he'll be with me again. He was, he was with me uh, a few, several months ago. Paul Michael uh, is really uh, sort of a generalist in the oil and gas industry, the energy industry also pays a lot of attention to water supplies around the globe, has a refreshingly optimistic view about the energy demands and the energy, uh, the ability to supply those demands, I should say, through new technologies. And I had Paul Michael Whibby on with me about the time I had Matt Simmons on with me last year. And Simmons was a gloom and doom guy, if ever there was one, and Michael Wiebe had a, a lot more optimistic outlook on things, and actually, the way things are turning out, it seems as though Wiebe has been quite, uh, quite, quite um, on the mark with respect to his uh, more optimistic predictions. Well, it's not only we see. My big concern is what will governments do to hinder the natural flows of uh, of the markets to meet our energy demands. Uh, of course, we're seeing major disruptions in the global economy, not only in energy and other industries 
but I would argue the most important one of all is in the banking industry. And no one is more aware of the damage that the banking industry is causing most Americans in reducing our standards of living and uh, causing malinvestment than Ron Paul. And Ron Paul will be with us in just a few minutes to talk about Amongst other things, the most recent ruling by the Supreme Court or by the court system actually allowing a lower court a decision to stand that requires the Federal Reserve to actually tell the American people who they created $2 million out of thin air and gave that. They created $2 million of, out of thin air and gave that money to the banking interest or global banking interest. Well, now they are going to be required to tell us who they sent that two trillion dollars to. Well we have an awful lot to talk about. We're going to be later in the day we're going to be talking uh, as well to uh, uh, we're going to be talking to to my friend Ted Ohashi at the end of the show. Uh, we have a precious little time uh, before we bring on Ron Paul after the break. So I have Chen Lin with me and I want to ask Chen uh, quickly uh, what his views are uh, now that oil is well over a hundred dollars. Chen welcome. Thank you Jake. Chen, you were you expressed some concerns some time ago about uh, what a hundred dollar oil plus might do to the global economy. Are you still very concerned about that? Yes, I do. Um, I'm watching oil uh, carefully. Uh, I have some oil uh, futures and oil ETFs uh, basically generate a hedge uh, against my position. So basically, you- oil when oil rise, you know, so. Goes uh, go down the disposable income of the United States, and also oil rise. All these mining companies, the cost will go higher. So that that's that's not good. I really hope oil can go down below one hundred dollar. Even though I'm holding a lot of oil stocks. Okay, so you still are holding the oil stocks, but you're buying some ETFs uh, in the in the physicals, I guess, to hedge against. Uh, I guess the other side of the trade. So if oil prices go up, you hope to profit from owning. The physical and in, 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 through an ETF. Yes, that's correct. Okay, uh, Chen, what are your thoughts? Uh, we only have a minute or so left here before we go to Congressman Paul. But what are your thoughts about uh, this this post nuclear age? What about nuclear energy? Yeah, I think nuclear energy will have some issues um, going forward. Uh, I heard German. Have a lot of. Uh, they made a decision to get rid of nuclear. I don't know whether they can or cannot. Uh, in China, there's a lot of talks about this um, nuclear issue as well. So basically, the, as the Japanese um, nuclear disaster dragged on, there's a very negative impact to the Iranian industry. Do you do you think that it will slow down, uh, markedly slow down the plans of China to develop uh, nuclear, their nuclear industry? Absolutely. I think China originally came out with a freeze of the new nuclear uh, reactors. I, I don't know what's the latest status. Even the government said, you know, they go ahead. A lot of, uh, you know, people, they will start to protest if a nuclear plant is close to their home. Okay, well, this is, uh, but you do like some uh, some oil and gas stocks. Could you perhaps tell our listeners one of your favorites or so? we got about one minute left here. Okay, yeah, I, I, I'm most favorite. My largest position is still Mart Resource. I mentioned a couple of times. Um, mm-hmm. They are uh, producing in Nigeria. Uh, Boni Wright is uh, over $120 per barrel. Uh, they are producing at the less than uh, one times uh, cash flow going mm-hmm. forward, so, which is very undervalued. You know. What is the symbol of that one, uh, Chen? Uh, MMT at the Venture. 
MMP on the Venture Exchange in Canada. Okay. Well, thank you, uh, Chen. I'm sorry we, we don't have very much time. I should mention also to our listeners, I don't believe I did mention, that it isn't only about energy today. We're going to also be talking to a couple of executives of uh, two gold mining companies. Uh, Mike Hoffman will be with me uh, from Crocodile Gold, and we're also going to be talking to Scott Waldy of Legend Gold. These are two companies that I think have a very bright future going forward. And so we'll be talking to them later on, actually later after Congressman Paul. Well, don't go away. We're going to go to a commercial break right now. And right back after that, we'll be with me, Congressman Ron Paul. Don't go away. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. The high-risk but high-reward business of mineral exploration is key to discovery and development of America's next generation of mines. A leader in this search is Millrock Resources. Based in Anchorage, Millrock is revealing the astounding potential for gold deposits in the Alaska frontier. In Arizona, the target is giant, hidden porphyry copper deposits. Financing this search are joint venture partners Tech, Ballet, InMet, Kinross, and Altius, major industry players. Together, the aim is discovering world-class gold and copper deposits to help secure America's productive future. Investors can share in the potential rewards. Millrock trades on the TSX Venture Exchange, symbol MRO. Great Panther Silver is a profitable primary silver producer trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol GPR. GPR operates two 100% owned mines in Mexico, has a solid track record of increasing production, and continues to add resources and reserves. GPR has developed an organic growth strategy that will see production increase by more than 65% over the next two years. Great Panther Silver is also generating excitement at its new discovery in Guanajuato and expanding its drill program. Look for GPR on the TSX. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. 
If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really, really pleased to have with me for a second or third time Congressman Ron Paul. He needs no introduction, that's for sure, uh, and the time he has to spend with us is so limited, so we're going to jump right into a couple of questions I have for the Congressman. Congressman Paul, welcome again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Thank you, Jay. Good to be with you. Well, it's always great to hear your voice, uh, whether it's on CNBC and increasingly on those larger Mainstream channels, I'm so pleased to know uh, that people are paying some attention to what you're saying and your uh, popularity has grown very dramatically since you, uh, over the last couple of years. Uh, I want to jump right into um, an issue. I believe the, the, the Bloomberg lawsuit uh, that was uh, challenging the Fed to tell the American people where they sent a couple of trillion dollars. And it's my understanding that now the courts have ruled in favor of Bloomberg uh, requiring the Federal Reserve to disclose what they did with that uh, that bailout money or the money that they pumped into the system after the Lehman Brothers uh, failure. What can you tell us about that, if anything? Well, I wish I could tell you a lot and, told, and tell you exactly what's in it, but that, I, I can't remember the exact number, but it's something like 29,000 pages, these spreadsheets, and it's going to be very, very difficult uh, to uh, analyze everything. But that, of course, was on purpose. They figured they'd make it as confusing as possible. But they did con, uh, conform to the law. The uh, courts ruled that they, under the Freedom of Information Act, they had to reveal this information. It's a bit ironic and, and a little sad that government, somebody like myself, who has some responsibility, uh, we did not achieve this, even though that's what we worked on, you know, auditing the Fed. We had a little bit of achievement last year. But a private source using the Freedom of Information Act was able to file suit and get that. So both Fox and Bloomberg deserve some credit uh, for doing this, and, and I haven't been bashful about saying that. But now the information is released to the public. We are analyzing it here. I hope to have hearings by May on this subject after we analyze it to find out what it means and why they did it and what they have excluded and this sort of thing. So, uh, But I think the initial in, uh, information, I would say that even surprised me is it, the magnitude, you know, into the trillions of dollars, exact number, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But it, foreign banks were a big beneficiary. So I guess that confirms that we're in a global economy now. You know, we must be... We must, and, and we do know that because the dollar's reserve standard. We are the central bank of the world, mm -hmm. which of course is being challenged right now. But we were, the Fed was really involved in bailing out a lot of foreign banks. Mm -hmm. Well, you were actually uh, suggesting that and, and questioning that whether or not the money wasn't going to to bail out foreign banks too, as I recall. Right, and. Uh, and, and there were some obvious reasons that they didn't want us to know. And I'll bet when we go through this, we're going to find, you know, some corporations that benefited, and 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 uh, there probably will be a pattern on who who are the good guys in the banking industries and who are the bad ones. You know, mm -hmm. uh, Lehman Brothers versus uh, Goldman Sachs, Goldman Sachs, that sort of thing. Yeah. Well, obviously, there's a lot of dirty laundry that a lot of people probably don't want to have uh, viewed in public. 
What, uh, so the impact of this then, Congressman Paul, is that they're, they're, they're creating trillions of dollars out of nothing, showering it out, basically bailing out the wealthy banking interests. Would you see it that way? There's no doubt about it, and I think that's what we all suspected. The American people are waking up to this, and uh, I, I find it fascinating that uh, we have achieved a whole lot, although we don't know everything and we, we haven't reigned in the Fed, but the exposure is very healthy for us to find out how a cartel, a private institution like the Fed, are able to uh, uh, to do these things with creation of money and bailing out their friends. But I I just think it's it's fantastic that uh, the American people are interested in this now, mm-hmm. and that uh, I think this is uh, you know real important for the day when we have to come up with some reform. So um, this is something the Fed resisted. Uh, the pressure, the public pressure has been great. We see, you know, it's interesting to see that the Fed chairman says, oh, well, maybe these people, we have to pander a little bit more, so we're going to have press conferences and tell them what to do. Somebody asked me the other day what I thought of that, and I said, spin. Yeah, that, <laughs> it'll, that's it'll be It'll be spin. You know, they do that in foreign policy. They have these top-secret briefings about why we're going into Libya. I don't even bother going because all you hear is, is the administration spin? So I'm sure uh, the Fed's involved in a lot of spin, but they've been getting away with it more than they deserve. But from now on, I think people are going to be very skeptical about the Fed. Mm-hmm. And when you talk about spin, here's a spin that I think has been going on for a long, long time, Congressman Paul, and that is that there's no connection between the creation of money and inflation. And I believe your uh, recent hearing was focusing on that uh, issue, trying to point out, I think, that you were, you were, and I haven't had the time to fully appreciate and listen to it, but I believe you were trying to help educate the American people against this spin, uh, helping them to understand the connection between these Federal Reserve actions of creation and creating endless amounts of money and the perhaps what they're paying to drive their cars or put food on their table. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the first hearing we had was the relationship of the Fed to unemployment because they have two mandates, stable prices and full employment. Well, we did the first one on unemployment and the business cycle to show that, you know, that they are very, very responsible for these problems. Uh, taxes and regulations are also responsible, but the Fed, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, as the manufacturer of the financial bubbles, uh, you know, the chief uh, uh, instigator there. So the next one we did was have on prices because, you know, Bernanke is always denying it and the liberals always deny it. Uh, prices are going up because of speculators and profiteers and mm-hmm. the weather and on and on, but it's never, it's never the Fed. And uh, Mises actually, in his writings, always warned that this is very important uh, because they don't want you to think about it. They will always come up with alternative uh, reasons why you have price inflation. Mm-hmm. No, we had a, I think we had a great hearing, hearing and documented this, and now we've set the stage. We've looked at the business cycle with, with regards to labor and now rising prices. But we are going to hone in now as this information is coming out the, uh, on the Fed. And this is still partial information. The audit the Fed bill is uh, still... Uh, being uh, worked on, you know, we hope that we get a full audit of the Fed, mm-hmm. but uh, we um, at least got the attention of a lot of people. Well, certainly if the American people start to make the connection between their pockets being picked, their their lower living standards, the ability to put food on their table, 
and, and drive their cars and do the things they have to do. If they make the connection between these bailouts of these large banks and people can start to see that, I think people are going to be angry as heck, and I think there's going to be a chance that we can make things better. Yeah. You know, the, in t- talking about spin, you know, the Fed saved us. They saved us from the <laughs> Depression. They yeah. saved us from, you know, all, all these events. But I, I think if we use terms like uh, debasement, why, mm-hmm. why is it good to take a value away from your savings? Why should mm-hmm. somebody debase your currency? I think that's a powerful term. But, of course, they say, no, we're just, uh, we're just the lender of last resort. You know, that sounds like we're saving everybody yes. instead of destroying something. And, of course, uh, I'm sure the people in your audience know that uh, the Fed creation of money does not create wealth. It undermines the creation of wealth. And uh, yet the, the argument of the Keynesians, as well as many in this, in, in this city of D.C., believe that, oh, you know, we can't exist without the Fed. <laughs> you know, that yeah. they are the ones who can create wealth, and, and they get all the credit for the good times, and then they get credit in the bad times because they get us out of the bad times. Yeah. That's the, the conventional wisdom. Yeah. But this go-around, uh, I don't think they're getting a lot of credit because they're not getting us out of the bad times very easily, and I suspect they're gonna get, times are going to get worse rather than better here in the next uh, year or two. Well, they're certainly not uh, getting a lot of credit for it. And then you hear the likes of a Bill Gross who was on Bloomberg uh, in New York um, just the other day, and, and Bill was talking about, uh, something that's been a pet peeve of yours for many, many years, how savers are being penalized with these low interest rates, these contrived, manipulated low interest rates. And so they're really, and Gross is understanding that in order for an economy to grow, you have to have savings. You can't just print money and dis- disincentivate people from saving, essentially. And the, I mean, the older folks that have saved and worked so hard all their lives are now finding that they're not getting they're not they're not getting anything for their savings and moreover here's another issue that I don't know I know you're going to have to go pretty soon but one of the things it seems to me that we are not uh, the the CPI the in, the uh, the the inflation that the government reports is certainly it seems to me from the work of John Williams and others very very understated and they're not then of course increasing social security along the lines of what the real cost of living uh, is is that is that your take as well oh oh a- absolutely um, and uh, as John Williams does, he calculates the old method of the CPI, mm-hmm. and it's probably twice as high or even more than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's done for several reasons, to deceive the people, to make them feel better. And, mm-hmm. and then, then they convince the markets, that, uh, you know, that at least the stock market, to respond and think only about the core rate and forget about food and, right. food and energy. But ultimately, they can't, they can't fool the market. And uh, they can't feel uh, fool the state savers forever. Uh, that is that is really the problem. I think it's like putting a monkey wrench in the whole machinery of capitalism. If you distort the interest rates and then people don't save and they substitute savings with uh, creation of new money, and then you get the inflation that just goes on and on. So, um, and, and you know, we have our progressives who challenge us on this, and they said, see. Capitalism doesn't work. Those free markets, this is what, you know, this yeah. is what it does to us. And that's why it's, it's such a uh, responsibility for us to show that, you know, capitalism and free markets are quite a bit different than crony capitalism and, right. and this inflationary monetary system where the banks are privileged and they, they get to participate in the, in, in the fraud. So there, there's a big 
big difference, and uh, I think we have to constantly make that point. Well, we're labeling it free market economics, and there's nothing like that existing. Of course, never in, in purity, probably ever in history of man, but we, we certainly have fallen away from it to a great extent. I think you would agree with that. Yeah, and I don't even think uh, we are giving good lip service, and we certainly don't have a good understanding of it, uh, because if you talk about, you know, even when we had more free markets and, and money that was even sounder, people refer that to those days as the old bad old days, yeah. and because they don't, uh, you know, un- understand uh, where the real growth came from and what has happened in the past 10 years. See, this, this crisis we're in now, I sort of date, Date things really getting bad in the year 2000, you know, with the bubble, the bubble collapsing. And, you know, the good jobs left and real growth and and, uh, standard of living, that's all been been, uh, dropping. And at the same time, then we had this additional uh, housing bubble collapse, and uh, I think there will be a few more. But the, the real problem uh, from from this type of policy, the policies that we're following, is that the standard of living is going to go down, is going down. Mm-hmm. If we don't change our ways, it's going to go down a lot more. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is why our task is to at least present our views to the people so that they believe it's in their best interest. If they want a high standard of living, if they want poor people to have jobs and be able to take care of themselves, they can't do it with debt and borrowing and inflating the currency. Uh, that's a failed policy. Yet they haven't given up yet. You can see the Fed and the Congress doing it constantly. Well, you're you're all about educating people along these lines, uh, Congressman Paul, and I appreciate it so much. I think you made tremendous progress uh, when you were presidential candidate. Uh, is that in the cards again? <laughs> well, there's a lot of thought about it, and a lot of people ask me about it, and I have not decided. Um, but uh, probably I will have to in the next month or two. Uh, the time is moving along rather rapidly. At this time, four years ago, you know, the, the many candidates that were involved in, it are in, in the early part of '07. Here we are, almost to the, you know, middle of uh, of '011. Right. So I'll ha- I'll have to do it soon. And there's a lot of good arguments for it, and there's a lot of uh, reasons why. Uh, I should move cautiously. <laughs> well, I, I know I had a conversation at dinner with somebody who knows you, Dwight Carey, uh, last evening, and, and his thoughts is, for your own personal being, maybe he wishes you wouldn't, but of course, <laughs> Dwight is very much in favor of, of uh, the educational process that, you're, that you have been so effective with, and I, it certainly was a platform for that. So, you know, uh, I, I just hope you do what, what you know is best for you and your family, but also for the country, and I know that yeah. that's what you are concerned about. You have been... As principled as anybody on the face of the earth in terms of your your values and your consistency, and that's what I think has won respect for you on both sides of the aisle. Congressman Paul, we are out of time. I don't know if there's anything else you'd like to add before we conclude our discussion this time. Uh, No, but just to add maybe that uh, I was pleasantly surprised at the reception we got, uh, you know, last go-around. And and, uh, I mentioned quite frequently that our newer generation, our younger generation, including your son, they're interested and they're understanding it, and maybe we can raise our kids to do a much better job than our generation has to restore our liberties. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Congressman Paul, for being with us again. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Mike Hoffman. He's the president of a new gold producer in Australia named Crocodile Gold. Don't go away. We'll be right back.
Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with Bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. North Atlantic Resources is a gold exploration company with three projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries made this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our premier FT project to development. We have a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold, with a target to increase to over 1 million ounces. North Atlantic trades under the symbol NAC on the TSX Venture Exchange. Learn more about NAC. Go to our website at www.nac.com. Brigus Gold is a growing gold producer with expected production of about 85,000 ounces of gold this year from its Black Fox mine in the Timmins Gold District in Canada. Next door to Black Fox, Brigus has the exciting Gray Fox Pike River Gold Project. Brigus is also advancing its Goldfields Project in Saskatchewan, Canada, and its promising exploration projects in Mexico and the Dominican Republic. All of its gold assets are in low-risk operating jurisdictions. Consider Brigus as your gold investment choice. Brigus is listed on the MX and TSX under the symbol BRD. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love ride. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I am your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Mike Hoffman. He's the president and CEO of Crocodile Gold. It's a new, relatively new gold mining company in production in Australia, but one of the things I've liked about this company and one of the reasons it has been selected for a recommendation in my newsletter is because it's not only producing around 100,000 ounces a year now, but actually has the prospects of building the number of ounces in the ground very dramatically, its exploration potential, I think, is is very, very uh, 
very, very great. And so we're looking at companies not only that are producing uh, here, but a situation where cash flow from production should be able to finance uh, further growth in the company. Uh, Crocodile Gold trades uh, in Toronto under the symbol CRK and in the United States over-the-counter CROCF. Approximately 309 million shares outstanding, and the stock was trading at about 96 cents earlier today. That gives us a market cap of around $300 million. Well, welcome, Mike, again to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thanks very much for having me again, Jay. Really good to have you. Uh, you know, I have to ask you, as I looked at your chart, um, uh, we saw a dramatic decline in the share price around the 28th of uh, February. Uh, what, what took place? What happened? What accounts for that? Um, there was a few things. Um, when we would have talked about the year-end production in January, uh, we would have alluded to the fact that the uh, it was an unseasonably uh, um, sort of higher wet season than normal, like we were getting a lot more rain than normal. And so we, what we did is on February 28th, we had provided an operational update. Uh, we were very specific in what we expected guidance was going to be for this year uh, of 85 to 100,000 ounces. And we also alluded that the first quarter we were being impacted by this wet season and that we were going to produce 14 to 17,000 ounces. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, some very negative news. Um, mm-hmm. The stock price uh, reacted accordingly. And on the back of that, uh, we also uh, had decided to uh, go ahead and raise some money. We raised $85 million. Now, by you know doing that bought deal, um, the stock price uh, uh, it was done at a, a lower price than the stock price at the time of about a buck fifteen. It was done at a dollar five. So mm-hmm. those two events uh, over those two days um, had dropped the stock price, and so it's been trading I guess anywhere the low eighty six to about ninety six cents since then. Um, obviously, not a lot of news since we closed the uh, financing, but interestingly enough, uh, that financing came with a half warrant, and when the um, this was priced, it was $0.99 cents attributed to the share and $0.06 cents for the half warrant, and actually that warrant has been trading... Uh, um, you know, equivalent on the half warrant, about 12 to, to 15 cents. So it's uh, hmm. it's actually been trading very well where the stock price hasn't been trading as well. But when you look at it combined, it's sort of trading fairly close to the offer price over the last few weeks. So, hmm. you know, what we need to do is we need to get some positive news. We're coming out of the wet season. Uh, production's returning uh, back to normal. Uh, we'll have some expiration news. And I think, uh, you know, the progress in Cosmo, I think that will uh, help the stock price rebound. And obviously, uh, you know, we want to do everything we can to make that happen. Mike, could you explain uh, maybe to our listeners and and to me as well, what uh, specifically, what does a wet season do to your operations? How does it hinder your operations? Well, normally um, there's two seasons really in northern Australia, uh, wet season, dry season. Uh, The wet season goes from October to the end of March. And you get monsoonal rains, the things you hear about that hit um, um, India, uh, we get those, um, and then it's completely dry. It's almost desert conditions the rest of the year. So normally we get about 1.2 meters, or if you're looking at it in, in feet, about four feet of rain during that wet season from October to March. This mm. year we got over nine feet. So wow. it's the worst wet season in 70 years. Um, I was there in Australia a couple uh, weeks ago. Everything's saturated everywhere. Uh, even the main highway, there's a lot of potholes in the main highway because it's the base of the highway saturated, so as the big trucks go over, they break up the road. So it's um, no permanent 
infrastructure issues as far as we're concerned, but some of the surrounding mines, there's uranium mine, Ranger Uranium. It's been shut down three months, and it, I've heard rumors that it may be shut down a few more months. So hmm. uh, it is affecting uh, businesses. You know, we all heard about the floods in Queensland uh, in early January and some of the cyclones that have hit. But, um, you know, it's one of those unusual weather events, and, you know, we prepare for it going into it by having a stockpile of ore, but um, with this being a little more unusual, that stockpile sort of ran out uh, the end of January. So Okay, so it basically just hinders your mining capability, the ability to go in and mine open pit as well as underground? Yeah, it didn't affect the underground at all. Um, it really affected the open pit where, you know, it was two issues. One, when you get the worst of these rains, you can't travel on the roads. The equipment breaks the roads down. And then in some cases, the pit's actually flooded. And then it, where it affects the mill is mainly in the crushing circuit where uh, you get sort of some uh, clay in these ores and then it tends to bind on all the uh, chutes and the belts and it just means your throughput is a little lower. What we tried to do to make up for that is mine higher grade. So we were able to mitigate it to a certain extent. We were able to keep producing throughout the wet season, but uh, thankfully everything's returning back to normal right now. Mike, um, let's talk a little bit about, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, what about Cosmo? That is really your bright exploration story, I think. Could you just tell our listeners a little bit about Cosmo? What are the, what's the potential at Cosmo? Well, it, it's the real crown jewel of our assets. Um, it's a 1.2 million uh, ounce underground resource that we've been developing since May last year. Uh, we just brought in a new contractor. He started mid-March. Um, so far, his advance has been great. Uh, he brought in brand new equipment, uh, very good people. Uh, we're very pleased just in the few weeks that he's been going that uh, he's still waiting for a little bit of equipment, but the advance has been uh, meeting or exceeding expectations. And we should be into some development or We're parallel to the ore right now. And uh, basically, we want to keep on pushing that ramp throughout the year because we want to set ourselves up for the following two years. So we'll get into some more development ore in the second quarter and a little more in the third quarter, and we'll start uh, actual production probably late third quarter, and we should be in commercial production in the fourth quarter of this year. So we're quite happy with the progress. We've got a diamond drill going there underground. He's been doing some geotech holes, and we expect him to do some holes on the west load where we believe that there's a very good potential for extensions of the ore zone, and then they'll do some further drilling on the east load. So um, our investors should be able to see some results coming out over the coming months. Could you talk to us a little bit about what your guidance is now in terms of production and cost of production going forward over the next year or two? Yeah, um, this year should be 85 to 100,000 ounces at 875 to 975 an ounce. Mm -hmm. um, we did guide for the first quarter that we do 14 to 17,000 ounces. I would caution everybody that the cost will not be very good. Uh, they won't mm -hmm. be 875 to 975. Uh, we'll really get the benefit of a lower cost later in the year. Um, when we did, we don't produce as much. Obviously, we have some fixed costs we have to cover. Sure. Um, what I'm hoping next year, and and we haven't completed all our uh, our forecast, but I'd like to say that at least we're going to be over 140,000 ounces, and you know, ideally, significantly more than that. Uh, one of the things we're doing at Cosmo right now is we're doing an optimization study on trying to bring as much ore forward as we can uh, to have that uh, production increase as quickly as possible. So in terms of news flow over the next coming months, you know, uh, junior mining companies and even companies like yours that are producing, uh, obviously you said you need to produce some good news to, to restore market confidence. What might we look for in that regard? 
Um, later this month, we'll have a reserve, reserve resource update, and we'll also publish the uh, technical report on CEDAR at the same time. Um, we, uh, all we're doing right now is we've pretty well completed everything. We're just checking all the numbers, uh, editing the document, um, you know, and just double-checking that everything uh, is, is correct. Um, we will have expiration news. What I'd expect is we'll probably see some expiration news probably later part of April, and then it should be fairly steady, uh, hopefully every couple of weeks. And then, you know, when you get into mid-May, we'll, you know, we'll have first quarter operational results, first quarter financials. And, um, you know, basically uh, what I'm excited about is, I think, you know, progress on Cosmo and uh, obviously, uh, you know, some of these uh, expiration targets at Union Reef right adjacent to the existing mill. Mm -hmm. Well, it certainly sounds good. And a lot of times the best opportunities come, um, you know, after you've had some difficulties. The share price has been knocked down significantly. That precipitous decline in, uh, from the 28th of, uh, of February. Uh, we just have a few more seconds, but I want to ask you, I'm curious about this warrant you're talking about. It's selling at about 24 cents now, I understand. And what is the strike price and what is the maturity on that, Mike? Yeah. On, with this, uh, because we did a larger financing, we actually included a half warrant in the financing. So it was a five-year warrant at a price of 225. So uh, I think some of the investors uh, have taken the opportunity. They like the idea of that longer-term warrant, mm -hmm. and I, I would say the popularity of it. You know, the, it has been trading very well. Um, you know, arguably there might have been some people that actually sold the shares and are keeping the warrant. So that. That could be, mm -hmm. you know, part of the reason there's a little bit of weakness in the share price, too. I'm speculating on this, but, sure. um, you know, it's another, it does trade on the uh, TSX under CRK.WT. So mm -hmm. it's, I, you know, as you mentioned, it's another way uh, of, of leveraging the stock and uh, another trading opportunity. Sure. Well, it's interesting for, for those that might be interested. It's certainly something I want to take a look at as well for my subscribers. Well, that's about all the time we have uh, for this time, Mike. I want to thank you again for being with us and for bringing our listeners up to date on your company. It is one I think that people should take a look at for the longer term. And, uh, you know, given these share prices where they are now, it may, be, it may be a great buying opportunity. I want to thank you again for being with us. Folks, don't go away. We're going to be right back uh, in just a couple of minutes with another junior exploration company. Well, an exploration company, not a producer. Uh, and Scott Waldy is going to be with us. Uh, so don't go away. We'll be right back. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barker Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining.
Great Panther Silver is a profitable primary silver producer trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol GPR. GPR operates two 100% owned mines in Mexico, has a solid track record of increasing production, and continues to add resources and reserves. GPR has developed an organic growth strategy that will see production increase by more than 65% over the next two years. Great Panther Silver is also generating excitement at its new discovery in Guanajuato and expanding its drill program. Look for GPR on the TSX. North Atlantic Resources is a gold exploration company with three projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries made this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our premier FT project to development. We have a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold, with a target to increase to over 1 million ounces. North Atlantic trades under the symbol NAC on the TSX Venture Exchange. Learn more about NAC. Go to our website at www.nac.com. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. 